Welcome to episode eight of the Sensitive Soul Support Podcast with Stacey Friedman and Jennifer Roth. Hi, Jen. Hey. <laughs> it's been a while since we've done this. I'm so happy we're back. Agreed. There's been I've, a lot. I feel like it. a lifetime has happened just in the last like six months. So getting these um, podcast episodes in has been more challenging than I think we had anticipated. <laughs> Absolutely. But like, this is, I think part of, you know, how we support people, right. It's like knowing that we might have great plans, but we sort of follow the flow. We follow our needs and when we're feeling like it's not the right time or we need to rest that we honor that. So um, hopefully our listeners are still following us. Thank you everyone listening. And thanks for the grace and giving us some time to get back to these conversations. So today we're going to talk about communicating our needs as highly sensitive people and empaths. Uh, This is a really juicy topic that we could probably spend, you know, five different episodes on, but when it comes to communicating our needs, um, I just wanted to think about like who we're talking about. So we as women need to be able to communicate our needs, not just to um, our, our partners, if we have one, but also to our children, if we have them, our friends, our parents, if we still have them, our colleagues, our bosses, right? It's such a big, huge umbrella when we talk about how important it is to communicate our needs because there are so many different people in our lives that it's important for us to learn how to communicate with. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that you and I have done so much work on is learning how to shift the paradigm of even thinking of ourselves as people who have needs that Mm. should be met. So before we can even talk about how do you communicate clearly with your partner and your children and your colleagues, like we need to even just address the whole identity shift that has to happen as a highly sensitive person or an empath who is used to putting other people's needs before their own. Absolutely. And that's a huge journey in itself. Um, Not only like coming to terms with, wow, I do that, don't I? I put other people's needs in front of my own. And then realizing like, I have needs that I am so unaware of. So that's why I'm not communicating them because I don't even know what my needs are because I've never, you know, given myself permission to honor them. So I think that that's a really a good start in like, um, maybe just like slowing down enough to even recognize where you're putting other people's needs in front of your own mm-hmm. and you're resentful for it and you feel mm-hmm. like your boundaries are being violated for it and you're not able to communicate um, why you feel resentful and why you feel these violations are happening because so many of us have just been conditioned and taught to like stuff that all down inside and not even address it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, part of the superpower of empaths and highly, well, I'm going to say empaths mostly. I mean, part of our superpower is that we have such compassionate, caring hearts. 
it's yeah. just part of who we are. We really genuinely and authentically care about other people. Yeah. And there are lots of people walking around the planet, no better or no worse than us, who really aren't that, they don't feel the same way. They don't have the same interactions with people where they care so much about what they've done, what they've been through. They don't have the same levels of compassion. Um, and it's part of this journey of coming to understand ourselves as women, as, as girls, when we were younger, really learning to understand how much that beautiful gift that we've been given, this ability to connect with people, to really see them for who they are, to really understand their struggle and to really feel the joy with them in their celebration. That's the gift of all of this, right? But there's also the other part to it, right? Everything has the lightness and the darkness. And for us, we also have the darkness of, wow, when we care so much about what other people feel, when we care so much about other people's journeys, about their path, about their success, about their whatever, fill in the blank, think, you know, you're thinking of your husband, you're thinking of your kids, you're thinking of your parent, whatever, whoever's in your life that you are like championing or feeling responsible for. Um, you know, we have to, at some point, wake up to the fact that it can become, we can get to the place, not all empaths do, but we can get to that place where we've been over giving, over responsible for other people's happiness and joy and success. We have to get to the point where we're, we're willing and honest enough to be able to see, like you said, where we're violating our own boundaries, where we're over giving, mm -hmm. where we're depleted because of the over giving. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is not easy to do. No. That is not easy to do. Many of us have come from families or modeling where we learned, we learned that way from others. We learned to be overgiving and over responsible for others. And so it's like a really big awakening, at least it was for me to really see that for what it was, because I always saw, and my mom was the most amazing overgiver, right? Like over generous and over, um, you know, she was just so loving and wanting everyone to be happy all the time. I always saw that as just like the most amazing, beautiful, incredible, wonderful thing to be. And then as I, you know, came to my own awareness of my own traits as an empath, as an overgiver and being overly responsible for others, I started to see, wow, how that was detrimental probably to my mom in, in certain ways and how I was playing out those patterns, right? Like putting, and for me, it really all started when I was a stay-at-home mom. Yep. When I stopped working and I was home with the kids and gave up my job, gave up my livelihood, gave up my ability to make money, gave it all up for the joy of wanting to raise my kids at home, which I wouldn't trade for the world. But it was in the, the chaos of with two kids under two and putting them for, and kids need a ton of shit. They need a lot <laughs> when they're babies. They're constantly needing, you know, they need a lot. And I had two close together and maybe it was just the nature of my kids' personalities, but there was a lot required of me to be what I thought was the good enough mother, right? There was a lot required of me. And that's when I first started to notice, 
loving being in that role, getting so much joy and pleasure and reward out of being that mom that was right there for the kid when they needed something right, right here for you. You know, I was like that right on top of the kids, kind of a mom. And I chose to be that way. I liked it, but eventually it became really hard for me and I lost touch with myself. I just lost touch with myself completely. I got lost in the role of being a mom, caring about my children, being there for them, being extra responsible for them, that I really lost myself in the process. So for me, I started to feel that the detriment, the shadowy parts, the darkness of being someone who cares so much for other people. And maybe this is not the best example because it's my kids, right? But where maybe we can apply this way of thinking in other parts of our lives, that it can become a detriment. It can become something that we have to we have to really get aware of and awake to so we can make the changes we need to to leave that pattern of depletion and resentment and exhaustion and um, like you said, resentment at the other people in our life where we're like, why aren't you stepping up? Why aren't you helping? Yes. Well, because we've been in the driver's seat, not letting other people help because we're overgiving, right? So That's- everyone has to come to that on their own way. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. It's, it's asking for help. Like how many of us is it like so hard for to just say, I need help and start delegating things to other people. Like it, why is that so hard for so many of us? You know, because we've been conditioned to do that. Like, and it's, it's revered as like a strength. Like, look at her. She's a hero. She can do it all on her own. And she sacrifices everything she wants for everybody else. What a hero she is. And, and people don't see that, like, that only lasts so long for a person to be able to carry that load until it, it's, it's not working anymore. It's, we have to be able to honor where, you know, what we're capable of. And it's okay to say, I need help. This is too much. And I think that's the start to communicating your needs. Because when you can become aware enough to own that it, you have too much on your plate, this is not, you know, this is not healthy for you or your mental health. It's okay to take a step back and say, what can I delegate? What can I ask for help with? That's a really great start. At least it has been on my, you know, journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for some of us, and this is like some of the deeper stuff, I think for some of us, there's a sense of we are very comfortable and happy in that heroine role because it, it's a way to increase our self-worth, our feelings of self-worth. And I think for many of us, we've been told you're such an amazing person. You gave so much of your time to him. Or like you were saying, the way that we're enculturated to think that giving is something we put someone on a pedestal for doing over giving, doing so much for others, giving them the shirt off your back. Yeah. So the messages are definitely there. And as younger people, I think when we're rewarded, when we're acknowledged, when we're affirmed for being that way, for being that type of person that builds a sense of self-worth that may not be authentic inside of us. And so we crave feeling needed in that way by the people in our life, even though we resent it, we also crave. And I think that's part of the cycle 
of overgiving and over responsibility is that we're always expecting someone's going to say, you're the best. You're amazing. You did it. You're so strong. That feeds us. Yes. Right. That feeds us. It makes us feel good. So it's learning how to like really see that for what it is for those of us who, who resonate with that. Not, I'm not saying that's true for everyone, but there are some people who I think because they started with low self-worth, this way of overgiving and tending to the needs of others built them up inside and made them feel worthy. Yeah. And that's some deep stuff to, to work on, to work through, to start to heal. Yeah. And I think there's a balance. I mean, it's some of that's healthy. Absolutely. But not when you're overgiving to the point where you're, you're exhausted and you don't like, you know, how you feel about right. your, yourself like you can't attach your happiness to giving to other people and them being happy like that's unhealthy you have to be able to find that within yourself so it's like detaching your worth like you said from that that um giving of yourself to other people and being able to find happiness and self-worth inside of yourself um yeah, that's quite, it's quite a journey. <laughs> quite Absolutely. a journey. All of this shit's a journey. It's all a journey. It's, and it's, I think it's, uh, it, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's the marathon. It's a, it's a race, not a really a race, but it's a, a path we're on for a whole life. And the, the really wonderful moments are when we realize we've broken a pattern somewhere. We're doing something a little differently. Maybe we're not overgiving as much, or maybe we're standing in our boundaries a little bit more than we would have last year. Yeah. To me, that is, that is the progress, right? Because it's like you said, it's a journey. And if we can just do little things, little baby steps along the way, and then be aware enough to see, wow, I've been able to say no with a little bit more ease to yeah. my, to my parents, to my siblings, to my children this past month, I've been able to say no a few more times than I actually think I said no last month. That is the sign that you're doing the inner work that you're, um, trusting yourself enough. You're, you're finding your, your value and self-worth even more and than ever. I think it's important to mention that when you start doing that, you most likely are going to feel guilty. I know Personally, it was kind of a fake it till I made it thing where like when I started to do that, I felt so guilty. I felt really like I was doing something bad or wrong. And I had to work through those uncomfortable feelings to get to a point where it felt good to say no. And it, mm. it wasn't immediate. It was a process. And I just think that's important to mention because a lot of people don't like that uncomfortable, guilty feeling, um, but it's necessary to get through that, that stage until, um, you know, then it, it's like, okay, this feels good. And that's really hard for empaths to do because when we stop the overgiving and the fixing everyone and the controlling everything, mm -hmm. um, we see people suffering a little bit more. We see our loved ones not doing as well. And there comes in that tendency to want to help again, to want to fix, to want to take that person out of their suffering because we think we have the answer to give. Yes. And for me, what's been super helpful is the spiritual recognition 
or learning or awakening that my role here is to stay on my side of the street and not to ever assume that it's my job to fix someone. It's my job to overgive to someone, to help someone, unless they've asked for help. Um, that we all are here living our own karmic journey. And it's not my job to rescue or heal or fix. Um, again, unless it's my job, like it is, you know, I'm a coach, I'm a healer, unless someone, you know, it's an exchange and someone comes to me for that. It's not my job to say, oh, you know, I see my husband is suffering in this part of his life. Let me jump in and help him. Let me overgive and, and extend all of this love and support when it may not be in his karmic destiny to go to that place where I think he would feel better at. That's really hard too. So the spiritual part of it for me keeps me on my side of the street. Um, my job is to worry about me and only me and to have personal responsibility and I think as empaths, that is the hardest thing for us to get comfortable with. Like you said, like to get more comfortable with being on our side of the street because we feel like we're letting others down. Yep. We feel like we're not getting the recognition that we want where someone yep. will say, oh my God, thank you so much for that. And it's, you feel raw and you feel like you don't know who you are anymore. It's like a rebuilding of your identity it's when so you start true. to own your side of the street and realize you're responsible for, for you giving to yourself. Giving and, you know, yourself. even like to talk about this in, in parenting, because obviously it's a little more complicated and different. I just kind of want to mention that, um, personally, like me kind of setting more boundaries and, and cutting some cords where they needed to be cut with my children. Um, I have built their self-esteem up from a more authentic place because they are learning how to do things for themselves that I did not learn how to do until I was in my forties. And me modeling that to them is also teaching them. So it's not yeah. only me giving them the opportunity to learn these lessons and build their, their self-esteem from the inside out, which is a really hard process. Um, you know, it's me modeling what that looks like for me too, so that there's a much healthier dynamic happening in their adult lives. And that mm -hmm. keeps me, you know, it, it gives me fuel to keep doing mm -hmm. the hard work. And I think um, that's an amazing point, you know, those of us who have kids to model the, the, these lessons, that is what breaks these patterns. That is what breaks the pattern so that our children are not then passing it down as intensely. I mean, let's be real. They're still forming their identities, our kids. And if we awaken to all this stuff, you know, maybe we've like, I'm thinking of my children, like the first maybe seven years for Emma, you know, I was in a different place as a woman and then around her seventh birthday or so I started to awaken. So it's interesting for me to think of what she picked up from me from ages one to seven. Yeah. And now from ages seven to where she is now, like, wow, different mom. She's got a yep. different mom now. So our kids are probably still going to be passing some of these tendencies that, that are maybe not the healthiest to the, to their kids one day, but there's going to be a lot of the other stuff in there too. That's going to balance it out. And I think you said the word balance earlier, and that really resonated with me. All this is about balance. Like we, as empaths and sensitives, we have these gifts. We can connect with people 
so deeply. We listen to others very deeply. We feel things very deeply. And those are gifts to the world. And we can use these gifts in so many ways to help people, to help, um, you know, to help humanity heal truly. Um, and so it's all about balance. It's about owning the gift of who we are. And then when we feel like we're off, when we feel that resentment coming in, when we feel the exhaustion starting to come in, we have to come back to this idea of communicating our needs. Where are we not doing that? Where are we not in touch with our needs? When are we, when, when we're on the floor and we're just like white knuckling it and we we got nothing left, we have to look at ourselves in the mirror Mm-hmm. Instead of pointing fingers at everyone else, why didn't they help? And why isn't this person doing it? We have to look at ourselves and go, where do I need to own what's mine here? Mm-hmm. Where did I not ask for help when I needed it? And that's hard is owning that responsibility. But once we can, then like you said, just asking for help is so beautiful. It's such a liberation to realize we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have all the answers. We're freaking human. We're meant to be in tribe. We're meant to be with others. We're meant to, we're social beings at the core. We need other people to help us and to support us and to be on the journey with us. Um, it's how we were designed. It's how we were made as human beings. We need to help one another. So then we can say, okay, what do I need help with? And yeah, it feels vulnerable and it feels like we're naked when we ask for help. And maybe we feel we don't we don't earn that right. We don't, it's that worthy thing. Like, I don't know if I can even ask for help, but baby steps is the way to do it. And just getting really clear on one thing that you need from your partner or from your sibling or from your child. And then the capital A ask, right? It's all about practicing the ask, the art of the ask. And that's scary as shit. But the more you practice it, the easier it gets, especially when people are happy to help you. Especially and people and like, when you sure. ask for help, you also have to be willing to relinquish control, which can be another whole ball game in itself. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yep. honoring that that's going to be uncomfortable too, and they may not do it exactly the way you want it done. And that's okay. <laughs> that's right. I'm thinking of my husband right now and all the times that I had to relinquish control because, you know, I really wanted to go out and have some alone time. And then it's like, well, now he's got to be with the kids, but he's not going to do lunch the way I would have, but that's okay. It's okay. And I, who am I again? It's that spiritual thing of like, stay on my fucking side of the street. Who am I to say my kids like it better when I give them lunch? This was when they were way younger, right? Like who was I to say that? Right? Like it's not, it's not my job to, 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 stick, come out of my lane. My lane is my lane and it's not on me to decide for other people. And that's the control freak in us, you know, the perfectionist in all of us. And we all have little bits of her too. And it's okay. Her job is just to keep everyone safe and keep things moving along smoothly. So our perfectionists are not things to be, um, you know, demonized. We, we can embrace that part of ourselves and realize where she comes from. She wants people to be happy. She wants people to, she wants the job to be done well. She wants to get recognition. She, she's, she's she got a lot, a break but, she needs, but she needs a break. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. She needs a break. She needs a break. And that's, I think the way to do it is to, to, to help her trust that it's okay to ask for help. Like it's a new foundation. It's a new muscle for her to strengthen when she asks for help. Like she doesn't yes. know how to do that. So the more she can ask for help and be vulnerable and practice what that feels like 
the practice vulnerability and visibility showing up for herself and asking for something small when her partner, when her child, when her parent, when her sibling, when her boss says, sure, I can do that for you. We then all of a sudden help her calm her nervous system and realize that, yes. hey, someone has be able to help me and the world didn't stop. There was no emergency. Yes. The sky didn't fall down because I didn't do that thing, right? And we build the trust and the, per the perfectionist part starts to learn it's safe. It's safe to ask for help, but that is a journey. That's a process. So baby steps, baby steps. Yep. Um, so I think another thing I wanted to talk about today is that a lot of us, a lot of us empaths, we tend to go into emotional dysregulation. We can get very into our emotions. And um, I think it's not the right time to ask for help when we're in that space. So just like if we can remember when it's time to ask for help, not to do it when we're in the state of complete rage because we're so tired and we can't do one more thing that's never the right time mm. to communicate the needs that we have. So I think for a lot of us, we tend to like just explode. We might get to that point where we're like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I've had it. And then we're yelling or screaming at someone, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we've just, and yeah, like compassion for ourselves. We've had enough, but the time to communicate our needs is never when we're in that state of well, emotional it's arousal. It's a preventative measure, right? If you're aware before it gets to that point and you ask for help, you're going to have a lot less of those outbursts because mm -hmm. that is the consequence of you not communicating your need. Right. Right. So it's, it's knowing that if I can get to a place where like, I'm feeling that buildup, let me pause, let me see where I need to delegate. Let me ask for help. So it doesn't end in the blow up. So I have to tell you a little story. So Brian went away on a golf trip. Um, I don't remember. It was two weeks. I think it was two weeks ago. So he left on a Thursday morning and he came home on a Sunday evening and like good for him. So happy for him to be able to get away. Um, that's part of our marriage these days is that like, he'll go away for a couple of days. Maybe I'll go away here or there, but like we make sure that we support one another when each of us needs time away. Yeah. But it was a really hard time <laughs> for him. It, like the timing of it was like not the best where things at home are just a little bit chaotic. And it felt like the worst time for him to take off for three nights and four days. Right. But, you know, I was like, tried to be so positive and like, have a great time. And I just want you to get away. And I was hoping, you know, for him to have that time to rejuvenate, come home fresh. Right. Because I was sort of like feeling that sense of exhaustion at that point. So long story short, he comes home Sunday afternoon, earlier than I had expected. And I was so happy when he came home because I thought he would just tag in. Yeah. And he'd come in and give me the high five and be like, all right, honey, I'm home. I'm recharged. You go out now for three hours. Go take your time. Go do whatever you want. Thanks for letting me get away. And he did not. <laughs> he totally did not come home that way. He was tired when he came home. He was lying on the couch, taking a nap. And I was like looking at him with this feeling of, are you fucking kidding me? Why are you lying on the couch? You just came home from a four day break. Why are you not jumping in? Why are you not saying, Hey, let me take over lunch. Let me do dinner tonight. And I felt so angry, 
so, so angry. And I let myself feel the anger and I'm so good at coaching myself and going, you know, elevating above to see what's really happening. So part of me is in the anger and resentment thinking like, you son of a bitch, you went away for four days and you're not even like picking up a finger. But at the same time saying to myself, Stacey, calm down. You're just really, you're, oh, you're overextended, which makes sense. And you never asked him for what you needed before he came home. You never said, hey, honey, when you get home, can we do the tag in tag out? Cause I'm probably going to be really tired. So I was able to see that I never asked for what I needed. I just expected that he was going to already know my needs. I didn't have to communicate them to him because he would just know after all this time, that's what I would need when he came home. And we all, you know, we're learning more and more like expectations are very dangerous when we have yeah. these expectations of others. So to make my long story a little shorter, my point in telling you this was that I had to own my side of the street, but I was pissed off. It was hard. I was still angry. And I was still saying to myself, you didn't ask for what you needed. You can't blame it on him, right? To be fair to him. And I couldn't talk to him about it because I was so mad. And so Sunday came and went and I didn't speak to him about it. Monday, I was a little bit quiet. I was really working through the uncomfortable feelings because I know I can do that. I can do hard things, right? I can sit in the uncomfortableness of being angry and trying to figure out what I should have done differently or, you know, just trying to process it all. And it took me like a good two or three days to sit with all of it so that I could get to a place where I could communicate to him in a way that would be conducive to us moving forward yes. rather than me unloading my, my wrath yes. on him. He's a wonderful guy. He's a free, he's an amazing man, amazing husband and father. He just wasn't thinking. He just was like in his own shit. Right. So I had to wait and it took a few days of being uncomfortable and us kind of being a little bit awkward with each other. And then the time I, I settled. Finally, I was able to process through what I needed to say to him. And then we had a great conversation. We were able to sit down and talk and I could say to him from a clear place, Hey, this is what I was feeling when you came home Sunday. I really wish you would have done this instead. And I'm sorry that I didn't, I didn't communicate what I needed with you before you came home. So, you know, it's a journey, right? It's a journey Bravo to you. Like talk about <laughs> thinking about how much you've grown, right? Like years ago, I'm sure you wouldn't have been able to capable, capable of handling it that way, but all no, I, your... would, I just would have screamed at him. I just would have right? been so angry and just, then he would have gotten defensive and then we wouldn't have talked yep. for like a few days and like, yeah. So thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of us can gain something from that story and just knowing like where we are in that spectrum of how we handle those emotions mm -hmm. and how we could maybe, you know, do a better job for ourselves and our partners. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> um, like, I probably should have built in time where a sitter came one of those days and I should have gone out and like gone mm. for a walk or done some, or gone out with a friend or something, right? Like I could have probably planned for myself better because I should have known that's a lot of work, four days and baseball games and softball games and making meals and, and, you know, tantrums and fighting. That's a lot when you're single momming it. Cause I'm not used to single momming it. You know, I'm not used to that. So right. I probably could have done more for myself. And that's what, you know, communicating our needs. It's not always about to the other people in our life, but it's also with ourselves. Like, what do I need right now? What do I need to get through this four day window where it's just going to be me at home? 
what do I need? And I think, you know, that's the ultimate goal for us is to, again, shift that identity piece of my jobs to give to others, to my jobs to fill my cup first, my jobs to check in with myself first, because when I take care of myself first, I do better taking care of other people that I love. Um, hundred percent, but it's a journey, like you said. Um, so, um, small steps, small asks, checking in, noticing when we feel the resentment coming in, noticing when we start to feel signs of exhaustion, being aware enough to notice and then stopping and taking, taking ownership, personal responsibility. What do I need right now? And being courageous enough to reach out and ask for help. So you can prove to yourself that it's safe and it's so much better on the other side. When you learn how to ask for help, it's so much nicer. You don't have to do everything all the time. So. Yeah. I love right. this. this whole conversation was so um, empowering and I hope other people feel the same way. So thank you to those of you listening and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything you would like to share, anything you gained, um, anything you'd like us to talk about in future episodes, we would love to hear from you. So how do people get in touch with you and how do people get in touch with me? Let's remind everybody. Yes. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, um, Gaia Dawn Studios, or you can email me or go to my website, GaiaDawnStudios.com, GaiaDawnStudios at gmail.com. And same for me. Um, best way to reach me is um, via email or my website, luckygirlhealth.com or luckygirlhealth at gmail.com. And Jen and I are very authentic, real women. And we really do love hearing from the women in our community. Um, we would love to hear more from you if you're interested in sharing, like Jen said, like your feedback or topics that you really would love to hear us talk about. Um, don't be afraid to reach out to either of us because we really love um, connecting with our, with, our, with our secret contracts, with our sisters. So hopefully we'll hear from you on um, how this episode was. And please share this podcast with those in your life that you think could gain something from, from these conversations. Share, share for us as well. Yes, absolutely.